0: Welcome everyone to the Drake Martinez podcast. I am your host Drake. Today we are going to be talking about the crisis in the military recruitment. So this has a few different angles that you can be looking at it from. So one is which one from one, you would have the issue of people are not being retained. The people that are in, they leave. A lot of them are leaving. Two is people aren't able to join. Young people aren't able to join. They're, they have too many health issues drug use, uh, overweight, etc. Three is people just aren't joining. And we can look into why that is. So I'm not really looking like at any data. I'm looking at a lot of um, anecdotal evidence that I have from serving. And things that I've seen and things that I would like to posit in order to improve the situation because um, I'm in the habit of Giving my opinion of things with not just uh, oh, his is a problem, but so possible solutions that I see that could be um, implemented. So let's first tackle the one that I could do very little about, which is the uh, the youth not being able to um, make it through the selection process. So what I can speak to this is that at boot camp, uh, because of just like everybody that's gone through the military and has uh, completed at least one of their terms, that um, the the boot camp is not really that difficult. It, it is in the sense that like you're away from home, you're away from your family, you're uncomfortable, uh, you have to wake up super early and work pretty much the whole day, but it's only like two, maybe three months, and it goes by fairly quickly. Um Because you're pretty much doing the same thing every day. Uh, You you know you're doing certain things are different. Like you have a schedule, obviously, and there's things you look forward to within the um, the boot camp process. But you know it gets broken up by meals. So like you have you're like okay, we're done with this thing in the morning. You know we had breakfast. Now we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna have lunch. Then we're gonna do this other thing. Then we have dinner, shower, go to bed, pretty much rinse and repeat. And that goes on for the entirety of boot camp. You're getting yelled at, it's uncomfortable. It is what it is. So there are people that do fail out of boot camp, quite a few actually. And there's nothing really that could be done about that, and I think in some respects that's okay because what ends up happening is that there are still quite a few people that get pushed through and they end up becoming sort of like a burden on the system. And they become a burden on people that are serving and having to do, instead of just one person's job, now because they have this ineffective person, an ineffectual person that's that somehow made it through the process and made it through training, um, now they're essentially doing their job as well because they're not able to. So that's a problem. Um, the other issue is that the you know young people just are not, Shape and um, there could be quite a bit going on in the physical education programs that could be going on in schools, but you know, I don't really know how to fix that problem. But it is what it is, The that definitely needs to be a thing that children need to be. And you know, I think this is just like a parent issue, Um, it's not just like on the falls on the schools, but you know, you should be having your kids get active and doing things. Outside of just playing video games and going to school, like they should be doing sports. They should be active and hanging out with their friends. Uh, I know like for me when I was younger, that was, it was like looked down on if like you, if we were spending the day in the house. Our, fa- our our grandparents and my mom was like, hey, you guys need to be out, go outside, have fun, you know, make sure your homework is done and all that. But, you know, we were we basically left our own devices to go out and like explore and have fun and play. I realize that the world is different now, that there's a lot more um, issues with like just kind of just leaving your kids out and having fun like the way that they used to do it. But, you know, there, you, there should be at least like some type of med- um, physical medium that like children can um, go through so that they can develop physical awareness. So I think one good area is martial arts. Like I, that's something that I plan to do with my children is having them do like martial arts like judo, boxing where they have a physical outlet and they can go out and hang out with other people in a physical setting and um and learn from one another and like you know participate in that type of sport. You know, cuz not everybody's into team sports, you know, or you know, so there's different options of sports that you can get into and physical other physical activities like for example, rock climbing is another really great one for me. And that's one uh, another one that I plan to introduce my children to. But anyways, uh, but you get the idea. Children are out of shape is a whole different era of technology and expectations in terms of like how children interact with one another, like how much time they get devoted to being outside and playing, what th- what they get to do for sports, all those sorts of things. But um, the other part of, part of that is mental health issues that people, young people. Um, Are not able to join because they had mental health issues, and mental health is a is a struggle for even healthy, mentally healthy people in the military because of just the high stress and the the environment. Um, The whole aspect of being able to take orders is is uh, not very can be pretty stressful at at certain times, especially when you're dealing with orders that are like. Just like a total waste of time. We'll get into things like that. Um, uh, another, I think, of another aspect that's hurting military recruitment. But let's just stick with this topic for now. But there's mental health is a, is a challenge in the military well, for for many many reasons, and people that already have mental health issues are going to be more of a burden on the system once they get put through the system and go through the stresses of of military. Um, of military life and going on deployments, being involved in operations things like that. So that's uh, that's one problem. Another is people don't want to join. And I think this has a lot to do with a, a lot of issues that you're going to see once you're in. Because I think a lot of people are leaving the military and they are not recommending it to their families and their friends. So I think you have a lot of people who are 22, 23, 24... And they leave and they're like, you know, they have friends that like went to college and they're like, hey, you know what? I think, you know, college isn't working out for me. I think I'd rather just join the Army or join the Navy or join the Marines. And their friends are like, nope, don't do it because of X, Y, and Z. We can get into those reasons in a bit. But I think a lot of that's happening. From what I've seen, a lot of young people are leaving, especially if they're leaving at that age, I'd say nine times out of ten, they didn't have a great experience. Nine times out of ten, they're like, they're done with it. They don't want anything to do with the military anymore, and there's a lot of reasons why, a lot of valid reasons why. We'll get into those in a minute. Um, but the other side of it is, so you have people are not able to join. People are not willing to join because they think they're hearing a lot of negative things from their... from their. Um, from their peers, people that they know that are veterans, and veterans are not recommending it for for various reasons that we're going to get into. And um, the third reason is that people are not being retained, and this has a lot to do, I think, with the previously mentioned issue, which is that people are not joining. Um, a lot of it's probably due to word of mouth. Um, people that, those people that left, like at 24, 25 years old, people that probably left when they were, had about like 10, 12 years of service you know they found more lucrative more opportunities outside in the civilian world that were more fitting to them and their lifestyle which is is fine I, you know military life for 20 years going into retirement is not for everybody nor should it be i think that there's a certain percentage of people that want to make it a career and that's great there's a certain percentage of people where it just turns into a career there's a certain percentage of people that, you know, they have families, they have X, Y, and Z going on, and they're like, you know what, I'm only at like 15 year I'm at 15 years now, well, it's another five. Let me just finish these five and I can uh, enjoy a retirement and then do these other things once I'm done, and I'm still going to be pretty young. It's a, it's it's not a bad gig. The, the problem is that there's a lot of issues that are coming up that have been exacerbated and this issue of recruitment or lack of recruitment is going to only exacerbate the issues that are being exacerbated and it's going to get worse if, the, if, this, if this situation isn't solved. Now, let's talk about the issues, then we'll talk about potential solutions. One, the undermanning, as I just mentioned, is causing people to do not just their own jobs, but three, four people's jobs. And in an already stressful environment, that perpetuates the lack of time that people, or that just exacerbates, rather, the, the lack of time that people have to spend with their families. So what you have to remember is in military service, um, there are things called deployments. Now, for each branch, a deployment looks very different. But the whole idea is that you are assigned to a duty station, and your duty station will eventually go on a deployment. Or you could be sent to doing a, a deployment if your duty station is not um, involved in one. So um, I can really only speak to how it's done in the Navy. I know I've heard things about how it's done, like in the Air Force, and the Army, uh, where a unit gets deployed, or an individual can be deployed with a unit, um, and then they have like a deployment schedule. So with the Navy, it's very similar, but that deployment schedule is only only adheres to those that are on their sea rotation. So you have a sea rotation, and then you have a shore rotation, and your shore rotation is essentially three, maybe four, somewhere between two and four years of being assigned to a, a shore activity, meaning a, a base that serves some type of function, whether it be for training or for, you know, surveillance, you know, there's tons of different activities that that short that a shore facility can be doing but in other words it's not a ship so you report to that that station um just like a normal job monday through friday possibly longer on like saturday sundays depending on like how they do duty but you know that's the beginning and end of your responsibilities while you're on active duty now if you're attached to a ship the ship goes on deployment and that schedule is de- contingent on that ship's schedule, if that makes sense. So if you get to the ship right after it got done with a, a deployment and you were assigned there for four years, well, you're probably only see probably only going to see one, maybe two other deployments because of the life cycle of a ship. Uh, possibly more, depending on what type of ship it is and other things that happen. But during that during your duration of time there you you go out when the ship goes out. But a ship doesn't just go out only on deployment. A ship goes out for exercises, for training, for various types of reasons. Testing, making sure that it is able to go out. Uh so once you get completed with like an overhaul period, then the ship will go out. So just make sure like everything's running like the way that it's supposed to be going. Cool. The problem is that during that grueling schedule of going out and because obviously when you go out with the ship you're stuck there you're, you're in the middle of the ocean you're doing your job 12 hours a day possibly longer and you know it's it's tough conditions you know you you can't really talk to your family and friends as much as you as, you, as much as you'd like to you don't have access to all like the little things that you take for granted when you're when you're at home um, and you're stuck eating those meals the meals that the that the ship is serving you. You can't. You know, that's one of the things that's like, especially difficult for me is like not having that access to like home cooked meals or, you know, in and out burgers, etc. So it's tough that when you take into consideration that there are fewer people that are joining, the people that are joining. So there's sort of like a life cycle. And this what's this is what makes it difficult on people who have been in for like five years, six years, seven years is... That they've that they that there's tends to be a life cycle. So you've you got to the ship, you did the grunt work for like three years, and then you move up, and now you're doing more of a supervisory ro- supervisory or managerial role, and then you move up, you move up, etc. The people that are like in the like immediate supervisory roles are now having to do the jobs of the people that were supposed to be coming in, as well as their own managerial roles. So they're not just so they're like they're doing the work that their workers should be doing and managing it, if that makes sense, because there's just not a whole lot of new people coming in, which, you know, it burns people out. So there's tens, like I was saying, this tends to be a life cycle. So you come in, you know, you you take on that grunt work, you learn how to do maintenance, you learn how to do the operations, you learn how to do watch standing. And then once you're done with that and you can do that effectively around that time, you get promoted. Usually the E five, and now you're a manager, and uh, or a supervisor, and you're managing/supervising a number of workers, and you're building them up. But if those guys get burned out, those guys and gals, if they get burned out, then they tend to just leave, and they have nothing good to say about their experience because they got burnt out. And I can and I've seen this happen time and time again, and then and the numbers of the amount of people, so. Uh, of per division. So a division is like a unit, which used to be around like 30 people in my line of work. Now we're down to like 20. And that's including like, you know, the, the upper chain of command of that unit. So three or four of them aren't really doing any of like the, the grunt work. Uh, They're doing a lot more of the administrative work. So now that grunt work that, used to fall on 25 people is now falling on 16, 15. So you can see how over the course of four or five years that can just become unmanageable and really burns people out very quickly and then they leave and then they got nothing but bad things to say. Even though they might have learned a lot of uh, really great skills and worked with a lot of really great people and had good experiences here and there, just that overall sense of being completely burnt out from the lack of new people coming in and providing that support and that, that steady stream of, like, you know, people coming in and moving up, people coming out, is uh, is a very challenging um, circumstances to be able to overcome. Another uh, challenging aspect is this issue with drugs. So there's quite a bit of... Uh, so the, the military has a no... No exceptions policy. So if you get caught using illegal substances like marijuana, cocaine, um, you know, you name it, you name those drugs, and you get you get caught on a on a um, urine test, what they call urine analysis, then you you get kicked out, and nobody is exempt from being uh, from having to take random drug testing. Even the commanding officers of of a, of a of a command will have to be sub, will be subject to those tests and if they get caught they get caught and then boom they're they're taken out they're taken out of the military so that person who a lot of people were relying on because one everyone sh- everyone's short manned uh, short-handed that's it, undermanned and now just add of... And it'll always happen out of nowhere. Obviously, the nature of popping on a drug test is uh, surprising. It's not like the scheduled tenure in which this person, oh, this person's leaving in like a year, they're doing a transfer or they're separating and they're going back to civilian life. It's like, no, this week, you know, Smith or Johnson, whoever was, you know, in charge of this thing, they were taking care of this maintenance action or they were involved in this operation and then boom. Boom. They, they pop on a drug test and now they can't be relied on it for anything and now they're just being separated from the military so it's a it's a lot of challenges a lot of challenges in terms of like manning managing the personnel managing the people that um, that are coming in and out and um yeah so that's that that's what I was saying is this it exacerbates the problem so let's go into some of the issues that people are having in which they're not they're like, hey, you know what? I just want out ASAP. I signed a contract. I hate it here. I hate doing this job. I want out. I want out now. There's quite a few people like that. And each command is very different. Each branch is very different. So, you know, you might talk to some people that had a great experience. You might talk to some people that had a really bad experience. And a lot of it depends on the command. And a lot of it depends on the, uh, the people that run it. So, I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to point to any specific examples, but I am going to just point to general trends that I've seen. Now, again, this might not be the case in a lot of other commands because, you know, the, the military by its nature is very compartmentalized, meaning when you're working in one area, you don't know what, an, you don't know at all what another area is doing. You might have some idea. You might get the chance to talk to some people, but you're hearing hearsay. I can only speak to what I've seen. And what I've seen is that there is a level of disconnect between the senior leadership, people who have been in for, at this point, 20 years, 15 years, 25 years, somewhere in that range, and the challenges that the people are facing that have been in for about five to ten so the people that have been in for five to ten are now dealing with this Manning, the Manning issues. They're dealing with like the personnel issues that they weren't that they that weren't as um, intense as they were 20 years ago, which is insane to think about, because during that time there were actual wars going on. Um, but I think that also speaks to the nature of what's going on lately, which is. During those during the war periods of the Iran Iraq War, I'm sorry, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, is um, there was less emphasis on little minute things that a lot of people might perceive as um, micromanaging, because there was a there were actual wars going on. So I think during those times. Things in, in a certain sense, the command structure becomes a little bit more relaxed because there is a larger problem at 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 hand. Whereas um, when there aren't any wars going on, then there's less of a uh, or there's less of an urgency in those areas. So they had ha- they have to transition their focus to another area. So, for uh, the easiest example that I can give, that kind of um, is a good analogy, is police in dangerous neighborhoods for na- neighborhoods versus police in very safe neighborhoods. Police in, ver- in dangerous neighborhoods don't really have a lot of whole whole lot of time to pull people over for minor traffic infractions, for example. So that would be like how chain of commands operate during wartime, which is you know, hey, this person's getting this thing done, they're getting that thing done, great. What we really got to focus on is making sure that people are prepared for this war that's going on. Whereas police that are policing very safe neighborhoods, they don't really have a whole lot going on in terms of, like, violent crime and things like that. So they got to do a job still. So they tend to shift their focus to things like minor traffic infractions. And for anyone that's ever dealt with things like that, you can see how that would be annoying, and it can that plus the man the shorting the manning shortage can just really exacerbate that problem where you have a lot of senior leadership that is disconnected from the challenges that the that the um, that the enlist that the enlisted are facing. Uh, with Manning. But then they also sort of just dial it up a lot or they dial it up a notch with really going into micromanaging. Another is the schedule for a lot of these ships. So I don't want to get into specifics because it's it's probably not very helpful um, or, or even relatable. But what I can say is that a lot of money is being wasted and time is being wasted on ships based off of the new programs that are being implemented in terms of shipbuilding. So ships from the 80s, um, the 90s, they tend to work very well and the ships that are new, uh, they're very, very expensive and some of them work, some of them don't. That's that's research and development. You can't really get around that. But what I have seen is that there is a lot of areas in which um, technological advancements could be implemented into the systems that we have on board. And that would make the maintenance schedule on the personnel who maintain the equipment a lot easier Because some of the equipment from like the 80s, from the 90s is very, very maintenance intensive and takes up a lot of space to do not a whole lot of functions. But due to the fact that the ships during that era were made so well and some of these older systems are just too difficult to take out because they're sort of like embedded into the system, uh, into the ship. That it, the navy is facing these problems, where you know you have, and anybody that has a smartphone can see this: that a smartphone in your in your in your pocket is essentially a computer. And if you go back to the '90s, what type of space and function would a computer from that era serve? Well, it doesn't do a fraction of the things that your phone can do, and your phone is way smaller. So. There's sort of like this problem in which when we do overhauls for ships, that they're essentially like billion dollar paint jobs. That there's not a whole lot of like systems that are being upgraded. And the ones that are, they're already at that point, 10 years behind, five years behind. So how does the Navy make the most up to date ships and build them quickly and efficiently? and test them out so that they know that they operate uh, effectively well there's there's not really like a great answer to that but i do know that if they were able to shift their focus into managing that instead of some of the other issues that they've been facing or In my opinion, poor strategies of recruitment. I I'm not going to get into the specifics of what I would consider those, but I'm pretty sure you guys can just use your imagination that the overall quality of life for for personnel that are working on the on the ships would improve quite a bit. Now, another issue that a lot of people are having. So, senior senior leadership, I think, has a lot a lot to blame um, for that. I think that they that disconnect is not just in terms of like the people that that are their subordinates, but it's also in terms of what they can do or what they could recommend to improve life on board the ships and life for their personnel, uh, for the personnel in general. Now, what I've seen in different naval bases around the country is that. There's a lot of wasted space, and there's a lot of wasted opportunities in terms of like managing people's uh, well-being. So, on I'm I'm not sure exactly how it works in the other branches, but they don't have ships, you know, so they have to have some type of quarters in which their soldiers, marines, airmen can sleep and and you know have a room when they're not on on duty, right? They have a place where they can they can go hang their hat and hang out and enjoy and enjoy their free time. The Navy doesn't really do that. Um and their attempts to do uh, their attempts to do that are terrible. Yeah, they're not effective and they di- they directly contribute to unfortunately a great deal of um, suicides, fraud, and a number of other issues of he- of um, of health issues because of their inability to make quarters available, or in this case, what would be called barracks available for each bachelor sailor, and um, and it causes so many issues. The main one being suicide. So you have a lot of sailors who work a 12-hour day. They are away from their parents. They're away from their families. They're in strange cities that they don't know. And the only people that they do know are the people that work in their divisions. And once they're done with work, where do they get to go? Nowhere. Because naval bases didn't really use their land effectively and there's a whole lot of like warehouses this and that but there's not a whole lot of barracks rooms so they might have a schedule of like this ship you know mind you there's like maybe four to ten ships assigned at each of these bases that they only might have like a a slots available for like 10 percent of the sailors that are um you know bachelors and then they don't get allowance for housing so they don't get allowance for housing. They get off of work in strange cities where they don't really know a whole lot of people, and once they're done with work, they're just like, "Okay, go, you know, go out and enjoy your day." But they don't have anywhere to go, so they sleep on board the ship, and they're stuck there, you know, pretty much indefinitely. And it's it's not a good spot. It's not a good spot to be in. It's not a it, people need the downtime. They need, especially when you're dealing with stressful situations, you know, because work there can be very stressful. It can be dangerous. It can be both at the same time. And if these young kids don't have an area in which they can just relax, um, hang their hat up, hang out with other people in a setting where they can, you know, have fun and and refresh, recharge the batteries, then they're also getting burnt out. And their quality of life is very poor. So I think, and, it, and it's so bad that the, what the Navy will do is they will take what's called like barge ships. So when the ship, because they, they're under the impression that, like, okay, well, these kids have these uncomfortable racks that they sleep in. And that's, you know, they don't have a, a barracks room, they just have a rack. That's where they're going to sleep on the ship. Imagine that every day, even on weekends. And so they have a barge ship that, so if the ship is going through an overhaul period, they'll have a barge ship that will come in and serve as like a a floating apartment building for all these sailors. So instead of doing a one time like construction project that would provide sufficient housing, um, for all these young kids, they put that money towards a, a floating apartment building. So it's just very, very poor management. And it's one of the easiest things that they could do that would really improve quality of life, bring down the suicide rates, bring up people's morale. And, um, yeah. Another thing that is, uh, Preventing people from staying in, I think, is this, so typically when you go through your first, or any any type of contract and you want to re-enlist, there's a bonus. And the bonus is, um, are distributed based off of this uh, arbitrary number system that they come up with. And although they're though, if you ask people like, oh, where did they get this um, number of like how much you get for a reenlistment? It's it's very arbitrary, and so some people will get like a hundred thousand dollars, some people will get six, and sometimes the people that get six are like very very important jobs that people need to need to have in the military, but for, for some reason they're only getting six. Meanwhile, you have people that are coming in for in, an enlistment bonus, so just to get in, no guarantee that they're going to actually make it through training or be useful, and they're getting like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. So I think that the reenlistment bonus strategy should be revisited; the numbers should be re- uh, distributed a lot better. Granted there's some positions that are very, very difficult, like um the people who work in the reactor, and they deserve a very good uh reenlistment bonus because those those guys can go out and make tons of money um in the private sector. But so you're sort of seeing all of these things coming together and you're seeing why the military is having um difficulties with recruiting. And you know, I think that these problems are only going to get worse. So some of the solutions that I've heard being posited is uh, that I've heard some congressmen and women saying like, oh, well, one of the things that we can do to bring up um, recruitment would be to go the way of like California and Massachusetts and and other states and to make marijuana legal for federal you know, for federal employees. And I have mixed feelings about that. I think it would cause a lot more harm than good because there's already a big struggle right now. And I think if you allowed that, then who knows what other problems might come up that aren't, that we just can't, project right now because i think the main issue is quality of life and a disconnect between senior leadership and the enlisted personnel like the rank and file there's a there's a big disconnect those two things need to be addressed i think before they can even get into anything else and another one obviously part of that disconnect is as i mentioned the um the housing situation for younger people, um, junior sailors, and um, in the in the military, in the in the navy, in particular. Well, so if you're thinking about, jo- I'll just leave it with this. If you're thinking about joining, I'd say that you had to do a lot of research. Um, it's not as clear cut as it used to be. I think, you know, and I and I wouldn't sh- I wouldn't um, shun anybody away from military service because it did a lot for me, um, but. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that it was easy, it was very, very difficult. And especially dealing with a lot of the things that I mentioned, it's extremely difficult. There's also a very, very big problem in terms of recognition, how recognition is distributed, because there tends to be a, um, an administrative class, even within technical ra- um, jobs. And those um, administrative jobs are very easy but because they're administrative and they don't really get put into the fire so to speak then they have so much more time for to make themselves look very good on paper whereas there's a lot of people that you know do like the grunt work and they get really good at the the technical aspects and they don't get the same recognition as the people who just look good on paper who do administrative work and i think that's a big problem that also needs to be addressed uh, but that's a that's another discussion for another time. So, anyways, uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and um, hopefully, you got something out of this, and it maybe gives you a little bit more perspective on like why military recruiting is so bad right now, and maybe you can we can continue to have conversations about this to see what we can do to make the, to make things better, because you know we we I w- I wouldn't say that our military needs to be like huge it just needs to be professional and we need to have a certain number of people that are re- willing and able to do it um, and the people that are doing it need to I think be treated a lot better I think that there's just there's too many shenanigans going around that uh, devalue basic human life for, for people that need uh, that, that need some comfort They need some reassurance especially from the people that are their leaders. And I think that's not happening as as strongly as it should be. But we'll continue to have these conversations, and um, let me know what you guys think in the comments. If you're a vet, if you're active duty, and you have your own suggestions of how things could be improved, you know, we never, who, who knows? I, I, what I've seen is that people in senior leadership like aren't very receptive. Uh, Although they they go out and say, like, hey, we want this survey, this survey. Yeah, they've taken the surveys, but they don't really do a whole lot to implement the changes that I think the rank and file see um, as potential solutions. Um, But yeah, who knows? Maybe that won't be the case in the future uh, once things get as bad as I think that they're going to get but um thank you guys for tuning in this is drake from drake martinez uh, music super happy that you guys tuned in um make sure that you subscribe fujiwara effect and it's by my band the water bear i wrote performed mixed mastered produced the album and um yeah thank you guys for tuning in hope to see you guys next week Bye bye